just uh, food for the soul, just being able to share together in, in uh, songs and in God's word and prayer. And I pray that all of us are blessed in a way that we can go out and make a difference in our community this week. Uh, there are a lot of things going on in our church family right now, and I'm going to have Greg come up and kind of introduce a little of that. Specific, specifically, we'll be starting a new preaching series uh, next Sunday, so if you could tell us about that, Greg. All right, would love to. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm on HH1, Kyler. Heaven, heaven one. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Wow, what a blessed morning. Would you not agree? The singing, the prayers, just thank you so much. Um, Kevin, I needed a box of tissues. I don't, uh, you need to give us fair warning next time. Hey, uh, we have got a brand new sermon series kicking off next Sunday. Zach Karstens will be here. He's coming all the way back from California just to bless us next Sunday morning. As we kick off a new series, we're calling Christmas Lights. And he's going to talk about the creation of light from Genesis chapter uh, 1. I'll be speaking from John 1 the following Sunday on Jesus, light of the world. We'll have a couple of other sermons that talk about light. The the sermon before Christmas Day, we're actually going to have uh, a sermon on heaven. Topic we don't talk about too much anymore, and that makes me really sad. So we're going to reclaim uh, that time and talk about heaven, uh, God, the light of eternity on that particular Sunday. And so really, really want to encourage you to not only uh, be here, of course, yourselves, but to invite friends, to invite family to come. We really want to talk to folks and encourage everyone to uh, be, be uh, in a place where they can find hope and live with purpose. And we think this series is going to help do that. We also want to introduce something through our Bible classes and something that you can take back to your own families and practice there called the Jesse Tree. And uh, I just found out about this fairly recently, although it is an ancient um, framework to help us learn more about Jesus. And so since I don't know as much about it as some folks in our church, by the way, how many of you have heard of Jesse Tree or actually participated in it? Okay, so several, maybe 10 or 15%. So this is a new thing. So I'm actually going to ask Melana Brandon to come up and tell us how this uh, Jesse tree is going to complement what we're doing during our sermon time and our Bible class time. And then once she's wrapped up, we'll turn it back over to Kelly. So you may have gone over in your classes today the Jesse tree. And the Jesse tree is, is merely a way that we can reflect on the stories and the heritage of Jesus Christ and the the history um, of our faith. So there's many, many um, days. We've got 25 days of stories and prophecies and people from the Old Testament that we're going to to go through in our scripture reading and writing. So we have another scripture reading and writing that like we did at Easter time. And you can take that, you can use that however it fits your family. If you like to read and you don't like to write, just read through through those each day. If you like to write, please join us with that. And if you have small children or you like to color, we made a coloring book this year for um, for the everyone in your family to be able to participate. If you like to um, 
do something with your whole family, if you like to do something with your house, if your roommates, if you, there are PDF files of this and digital files that will start showing up on your uh, computer. So if you want to join with um, relatives or friends who are overseas or in a different town and you want to ask them to join with you in this reflective time, then, then do that as well. And um, we have one more um, resource. These two resources are free and they're on the table outside. These two resources here on the screen are from Ann Voskamp and um, those are available as well. So you can stop by the table after service today and um, ask about them and we'll get those to you. Just It's all just a means to focus ourselves on um, our Savior at this time of year. Thank you, Milena. I'm really excited about all that we've got coming up uh, this month and I hope that it will be a blessing to everyone. We're wrapping up our series for the fall. It was a series we started in September. It's called Meet Up, and we've been going through the book of Colossians, and starting in November, this month of November, we've been going through this really short letter called Philemon. It's a personal letter, kind of a postcard letter. It's one that you can read really quickly, but it has a huge impact and a deep meaning. And so I I pray that you've been blessed by that. And we're going to wrap up our series in Philemon today. And when we started this, I had my dad, Bob Davidson, tell a story. And I wanted to end it with this as well, because we're going to be looking at this letter that was written to Philemon. And it was written by the Apostle Paul and sent to Philemon. And Philemon then received this letter, and Titicus read it to him. Now, Bob has experience of writing a letter, a letter that really was life-changing for me and for my family, and I wanted him to start off our series by telling this story. (laughs) I'm going to tell you about the most important letter that I've ever written. I went through college, graduated from Abilene Christian, and didn't even have a girlfriend. And I wanted to get married. I took a summer job at Camp Shiloh in Midnam, New Jersey. And I found out that a young lady from Muskogee, Oklahoma was going to be at the camp during the summer. Her name was Mert Kelly. I got to Camp Shiloh before she did. I was sitting on the big house there on the steps when she drove up in a new Ford car that her dad had bought her. And when she got out, she was the most beautiful sight that I've ever seen. But there was a problem. I ran for student body president, Abilene Christian, And my campaign manager was from Ohio. He was captain of the basketball team. He was a good friend of mine. And he loved Mert Kelly. 
And he told me before I left to go to camp. He said, now you're going to be at camp with Mert. I want you to take real good care of her. And don't let any of the Yankees date her. Well, eight weeks, I took care of her. We went to Yankee Stadium. We went to a Broadway play. We had the best time. I was taking good care of her. When the summer was over, I had to go back to Texas. And then I was going to go back to New York City because I had a job there on the east side preaching every other Sunday with a guy from Matador, Texas named Bob Harp. When she drove up, I said, uh-oh. All right, I'll get down to the letter. I was in New York City. She went back to Abilene Christian. I was making $200 a month. I couldn't afford a plane ticket to Abilene Christian to, to quarter. So I went to St. Patrick's Cathedral on 5th Avenue in New York City. I'd taken a lot of visitors there. There's always a bunch of ladies up front with their beads praying. I went right up front, St. Patrick's Cathedral. I got down on my knees right with those ladies. And I said, God, there's a lady, a young lady in Abilene that I want to marry. But I can't afford to go to Abilene to see her. But I want to marry her. I prayed about 30 minutes, one of the longest prayers I've ever prayed. I got up and I went back to 48 East 80th Street where I was staying. I went up on the fifth floor. I picked out a, a pad and a pen and I wrote a letter to Mert. I said, Dear Mert, I wish I was there to do this in person, but I'm not. Would you marry me? Now, girls, I don't know what you'd do if you got a letter like that. <laughs> I sealed that letter. I put the stamp on it. I put the right address on it. <laughs> I went downstairs. I turned left. I went to Madison Avenue. And there on the corner of Madison Avenue and 80th Street, was a post postal box with a, a metal stem and then a little old box that you, you flick the little deal to put your letter in. I put that letter in, I flicked it, I said, uh-oh, 
I have really messed up. I started looking for the postmaster's address and telephone number on the box, but it wasn't there. I said, well, I've just got to live with it. I was on pins and needles for the next few days. About five days later, I was on the fifth floor of the Manhattan Church building, 48 East 80th Street. And the guy that I was staying with up there, Bob Harp from Matador, Texas, he said, Bob, you've got a long-distance call from Abilene, Texas. Come get it. My heart started beating. I went downstairs, and I had to do this to the telephone because I, so, I knew my whole future was based on what was happening. I said, Hello? She said, hello? I said, is that you, Mert? She says, yes. And then I said, did you get my letter? She says, yes. And then there was a time lapse. Seemed like about an hour to me. I said, well, what do you think? She said, I think it's a wonderful idea. I said, oh, I love you, Mert. Kelly says I'm not through. <laughs> that was the best letter, the most important letter that I've ever written. And I'm thankful that I was able to spend 60-plus years with Mert Kelly, a real Okie from Muskogee. Well, before Bob wrote that letter, Paul, sitting in a prison, wrote a letter to Philemon. A difficult letter. A letter that challenged Philemon. And as we kind of wrap up our time looking at this letter, there's two main things that I would like for us just to take away. First of all, that as we see this letter and we see what Paul did, he confirmed the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Philemon. And then secondly, he challenged the faith of Philemon to grow even more. And so let's just briefly look at these First of all, Paul confirmed the work of the Holy Spirit in Philemon's life. When Bob wrote this letter, he, he was writing out of a deep relationship that had developed that summer before. When Paul wrote his letter, he was writing out of a relationship that he had with Philemon. Paul was writing confidently because he knew how the Holy Spirit was working in Philemon's life. And so when he writes this letter, when he makes this request, it was a request that was coming from his time spent with him. Paul had seen Philemon's growth. He'd seen how Philemon had changed 
He'd seen that Philemon had matured into a church leader. In fact, the church was meeting there at Philemon's house. And so his confidence in writing Philemon wasn't in his persuasive words, in the way that he arranged his letter just so that he would get Philemon to follow along with what he wanted him to do. But Paul was writing a letter with confidence based on his relationship and knowing that the Holy Spirit was working. He says, I hear of your love. I hear of your agape love. In his letter to Galatians, Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit. And do you remember what the very first fruit is? In fact, the fruit in which all the other fruit grow out of. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Yeah. Paul is writing this letter saying, Look, Philemon, I see the... I see your love, the fruit of the Spirit. It's just, it's just part of your life. And then he also says, I pray that, that the sharing or the fellowship of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. Some of your versions may actually use the word sharing. The New American Standard Bible actually is a, lot, a little bit more literal and it's, which is what's up on the screen, it actually uses the word fellowship. The Greek word is one that many of you have probably heard before, the word koinonia. In other words, it's not so much the verbal sharing, but it's the living out sharing. This koinonia that Paul knows is a, is a result of the Holy Spirit working in Philemon's life. It's this picture that we have in Acts chapter 4 when, when the Holy Spirit has come down on, on this new group of people, a fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. And we read in Acts 4 that when they prayed, the place where they had gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of Lord Jesus, and the abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sale and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. This is the koinonia that existed. And I think that Paul probably has this in mind when he's writing to Philemon and he's saying, I see this sharing of the fellowship, this sharing of koinonia that's part of your life. It's a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit because Paul is writing to a man who has shown this in the way that his life has, has been a verbal witness and a life of generosity and peace. I think that one of the most precious gifts that we can give to each other is the gift of verbalizing how we see the Holy Spirit working in other people's lives. It doesn't cost us anything, and yet it's so, so 
precious and so, so valuable. It's this, it's this gift of honor that we can give. Not honoring the person, but honoring the Holy Spirit that indwells that person and the, the fruit that we can see in their lives. As I was reflecting on this this past week, I was reminded of this book that's still on my shelf. I bought it in the 1970s. The pages are yellow. It's, it's one of the few books that I still own. I've given most of my books away, but this one I'm still holding on to. Some of you may have read it. It's called The Gift of Honor. And I saved it because this book has meant so much to me. On the cover, it says this. It says, whether we realize it or not, the value we attach to God, our children, and ourselves greatly determines the success or failure of all our relationships. Indeed, nothing will do more to shape the lives to shape lives than learning to give and receive the gift of honor. The gift of recognizing that you are valuable. Because God is using you to bless others. Oh, it's something that's so important for parents. It's so important for grandparents. It's so important for families. And it's so important for churches to freely give the gift of honor. To recognize how God is working inside of you through His Spirit to bring fruit and to bless others. And I think this is what Paul is doing here. He's saying, Philemon, I see your life. I'm going to ask you something that's pretty hard, but I see your life. I see the way that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. And so I know that what I'm about to ask you is not something that's going to be too much. And that leads to the challenge. Number two, Paul challenged the faith of Philemon to grow even more. He says, because the Holy Spirit is working in your life, Philemon, I feel confident that you'll, you'll do not just what I'm asking you, but you'll actually do even more. You know, he says, the Holy Spirit is giving you even more power. Power to do even more than what I'm asking you. What a beautiful picture this is. You see, in, in this letter we see bad news, we see good news, and we see a big challenge. The bad news is that Onesimus, your slave, has run away. He likely stole something. The good news is that he has become a believer in Christ. And he's committed to being a slave of Jesus for the rest of his life. Now, here's the challenge. The challenge, Philemon, is for you to receive him back, but no longer view him as a slave, but to view him as a brother in Christ. And Paul says, I would like for you to receive him just as you would receive me. And this is most likely the biggest spiritual challenge that Philemon had ever faced. To follow Paul's request 
would be a huge risk for Philemon. It would be a risk for him legally. It would be a risk for Philemon socially. It would be a risk for Philemon financially for him to receive a runaway slave back as a brother and begin to treat him as such. But that was what Paul was asking Philemon to do. And you see, this highlights the point that God has never called us to a comfortable faith. And God has never called us to a convenient Christianity. In my experience, some of the wisest people that I've been around are those who have had to walk the road of suffering and let God teach them. Eugene Peterson says, it doesn't take long when you're following Jesus to figure out that Jesus has no interest in making life easy for us. He doesn't avoid the tough climbs or detour around rough terrain. He doesn't put us up in the best hotels. But we also realize that Jesus doesn't take us any place that he doesn't first go himself. Tim Keller says, Only if your God can outrage you and make you struggle will you know that you worship a real God and not a figment of your imagination. Here's the truth. Philemon was wronged. What Onesimus did to Philemon was wrong. Philemon was wronged. He was the one who was hurt, and now he was the one that's being asked to forgive. And being asked to forgive is one of the most difficult spiritual challenges that any of us will ever face. Because we have every right, we feel, to hold on to our bitterness, to hold on to our anger because we were hurt. C.S. Lewis wrote, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. But as Christ followers, that's our calling. We follow a Christ who, as he hung on the tree, forgave, forgave the empire of Rome, forgave the corrupt religious system, forgave the, the fickle crowd that were shouting insults. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness is what our God is. Our God is a God of forgiveness and mercy and grace. And we as His children are called to be peacemakers. And so in Philemon we see that our relationship with others tests our relationship with Christ. And one of the ways that we see how far that we've matured is by looking at our relations, our relationships with others. And so the letter ends. The letter ends. Titicus stands there, reads this letter to Philemon. And we don't know how, what happened. 
That's a little hard for me because I'm someone that really likes resolution. I don't really like movies that end just leaving you hanging. But this is what this letter does. And I thought, I've wondered, why? Why don't we have a little addendum? The rest of the story. Somebody tell us what happened. But maybe, maybe it's because the Holy Spirit wants us to struggle with this in our own heart. Maybe we need to ask if Paul had written that letter to us, how would we have responded? Because that's what's really important. Titicus could have finished the letter and Philemon grabbed it and torn it up and thrown it in the fire, but I don't believe that's what happened. I don't believe the letter would have survived to the point where it's still in our canon, our New Testament. I believe that letter became something that was the gospel lived out to the early church. And so copies were written and it was preserved and passed on through century, decade after decade, century after century until we can read it today and be challenged by this beautiful, handwritten, personal sent by Paul. But still the question is, happened in my mind here's how it went in my mind Titicus finishes reading the letter Philemon thinks about it he looks over and he recognizes Onesimus he begins to walk over to him The gathered church is silent. Philemon opens his arms and says, Welcome home, brother. And if I were making the movie, I would have everybody start crying. The whole church would be shouting and tears would be flowing. And for generations, people would talk about this time that the worship assembly erupted in praise and it was the best worship assembly they ever attended. But really, the story of Philemon is the story of us as well. And I can also picture a day in the future where I'm standing before God the Father. <clears throat> and Jesus is there right next to me. Jesus, my advocate. Jesus, my Savior. And says, God, yes, I know. I know Kelly is a sinner. He's run away from you. But he's come back. And if he has wronged you in any way, charge it to my account because I've already paid it. And God opens his arms and says, Welcome home, my child. You see, if you're walking with Jesus, this is what happens. This is the beautiful story of our relationship. 
through the grace of Jesus that we have with our Father. And so we're going to close right now. In a few moments, we're all going to be sent out as a church to make a difference in our families, to make a difference in our communities. We're going to be sent out. And I want you to reflect on this. How are you going to live out this ministry of reconciliation that we've been called to? Maybe in your family gatherings this week. Maybe, maybe there's someone that you need to go and you need to talk to personally. But we're all called to this ministry, this important ministry of reconciliation. And it's so beautiful because of Jesus Christ who has made all of this possible. And so as we sing this song of reflection and response, if you would like to have prayers, we've got people prepared to pray for you up front and in the back. If you would like to learn more about Jesus and be baptized into into where His name for the rest of your life, we would love to talk to you more about that. But whatever it is, I pray that we will all respond to God's Word as we stand together and sing.